Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Heritage Minister clarifies comments about whether the government would license media outlets. Let me be clear. Our government has no intention to impose licensing requirements on news organizations, nor will we try to regulate news content. We are committed to free and independent press, which is essential to our democracy. The government continues preparations to bring Canadians home from the Chinese province at the center of the coronavirus outbreak. Our understanding from the Chinese authorities is that no one who is presenting symptoms will be able to fly. This is actually part of China's extensive effort uh, to contain the spread of disease. Um, and so, uh, you know, this is, they've been resolute on, on this with all countries. And so I think we have to be prepared to understand that that's not going to be a, a flexible point for discussion. And Peter McKay says he's not happy about a tweet that took aim at the Prime Minister for doing yoga. Peter McKay has been putting out a series of tweets, highly aggressive tweets, since he declared his leadership. It's Tuesday, February 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for being with us. Good to talk to you, Mark. So let's start with Stephen Guilbeault, the Heritage Minister, who had to clarify the government's position on media licensing yesterday. He said, to make it clear, our government has no intention to impose licensing requirements on news organizations, nor will we try to regulate news content. All of this, of course, arises from the government's reaction to an expert panel that uh, introduced uh, proposed changes to the broadcast and telecommunications world in this country. That's right. So Mr. Guibault on the weekend, in the weekend political shows, kind of walked into a bit of trouble by leaving the impression, um, whether he intended to or not, that there would be some kind of licensing around what is a legitimate news organization and what's not. And that is, and you and I know this as members of the media, that is an incredibly um, divisive, hot-button, fraught, polarizing discussion in the Canadian political world right now because um, news organizations are looking for some way to make sure that they can still stay stay in the journalism business um, when the journalism business is having a hard time. So uh, the government has been looking at all kinds of ways to assist the media, the, 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 the sort of public service aspect of journalism, without getting meddling in the business of journalism. So uh, the government is finding that hard to manage. We are finding that hard to manage. Uh, we in the media, and now Mr. Gibo can uh, welcome to our world. Uh, he is finding this too. He had to come out and say, "Look, this isn't. I'm not trying to. The government isn't trying to decide what's a legitimate news organization and what's not, Trump style. Um, we are. I am. We are just trying to uh, see about uh, making the, le- the playing field a little more level." Yeah. And the people who are opposed to government financing of the media or financial support will say that this is the kind of conversation we end up with because of that, right? But it is certainly a red flag for a lot of people when the government gets into the media's business at all, in any form. Uh, Yeah, there's there's never a good side to this. And, um, and, And yet, I do think, and I don't just say this as a member of the media, 
there, there is an issue here to be addressed too, and it's the government uh, is involved in all kinds of other ways of um, leveling the market or making the market um, not meddling in the market, but at least making the playing field more level in uh, in the business and in other businesses. So, but we are not a business like any other. This, you know, this is a huge, huge topic. My uh, initial reading of public, uh, my initial reading of social media after the Gibo clarification was that it had done little to calm those opponents. I still think saw references to this is what they do in North Korea. Uh, Justin Trudeau trying to buy himself favorable coverage, and on and on it goes. Right. So um, this is a political rookie uh, put into this job. We saw this with Melanie Jolie as well, right? That um, when she was heritage minister, it wasn't the exact same issue, but it's uh, heritage is uh, is a very complicated business. It it sounds like it might be all going to Oscar ceremonies and stuff like that, but um, actually, it's uh, there are things that fall on the heritage minister's plate that are hot topics to handle: Netflix taxes, how to rein in social media giants that are huge cultural issues in Canada sure. and very political as well. And Mr. Gipo, welcome to the world of uh, of being Heritage Minister. Yeah, and it's not just that particular aspect of the recommendations from this expert panel that will be tricky for him. As you mentioned, <laughs> deciding what to do about Netflix, uh, whether to have them charge HST, whether to uh, require them to produce a certain amount of Canadian content, uh, there are a lot of other decisions arising from that panel that that Mr. Guibault is going to have to navigate. That's right. And these are issues, the reason they are so uh, controversial is they touch so many people's lives. Um, everybody understands what a tax is. Everybody understands what Netflix is. And um, the, the government getting involved in any of that business that touch people's lives and their culture and their entertainment um, certainly is uh, is difficult. So, uh, again, maybe he'll write his memoir someday from going through... I'd like to ask him today whether he found it easier to be an environmental activist or a heritage minister. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the government's plans to bring Canadians home from the affected area in China where the coronavirus has taken hold. Uh, there are lots of questions, there remain lots of questions about exactly what the government is doing, who qualifies, who doesn't, who's paying, uh, all of those kinds of things. Is the picture any clearer now? A little bit clearer. It gets clearer every day. There's, um, there are, you know, this is a very incremental process because the disease, it, it's, it's making the response travel as quickly as, as the disease or the, the virus. Chartered flight is being sent to repatriate Canadians, um, but they will—they can only be, as I believe, um, Canadians traveling with a Canadian passport, which wouldn't be all Canadians there. There would be some we discover in other places, but um, and I think it's it's nearly or around 300 people. Uh, the government is sending uh, one plane right now, but they are leaving open the possibility that another one could come. We may see that later in the week. I think what the government is struggling to do at the moment is stay on top, as I said, of uh, a virus that is still un an unknown quantity to many people. It's um, The magnitude of it 
in China is huge, but we are not yet sure about the magnitude once it gets out of that country. And I think the one of the more controversial parts we're seeing of the of bringing Canadians home is that they will be put at CFB Trenton, Canadian Forces Base Trenton, where they will be in two-week quarantine and so on, which is, I guess, preferable to being trapped in China, but it is still quarantine. So that has a serious feel about it. And I think um, everybody is sort of waiting day by day to see how much more serious this gets. Yeah, I, mean, I will say it does, it does seem that, that the government is handling this from my eyes anyway, pretty well. It doesn't look like it's out of control here. And certainly the calming voices from the government have been welcome, I'm sure, to a lot of people. Yeah, and it, it is, as you point out, it's unusual. You can you can justify it in this case, perhaps on medical grounds, on public health grounds, but it is unusual in this day and age for the government to be imposing a quarantine on Canadians, right? Yeah, it it does almost seem sometimes like the, like it's out of science fiction, right? you know, or um, you know the old movies uh, outbreak or contagion. Yeah. But um, but what people are calling for is calm and containment, and uh, that uh, that seems to be what the government deci- has decided is the best way to keep calm and keep containment. It is on you know last week we were talking about people putting themselves into self quarantine at home and this is a different measure altogether uh from that but i guess when you're bringing people back by the hundreds it's harder to ask them to just go and stay at home and not have any interaction with any other human beings all right finally susan wanted to get your thoughts on what peter mckay said yesterday in an interview he admitted he wasn't happy about a tweet that went out from his account uh under his name as though he had written it but obviously it was written by somebody else uh, that um, basically made fun of Justin Trudeau for doing yoga. Yeah. Now this is uh, this, is, this is interesting in a number of levels because usually politicians maintain the fiction that they indeed are doing their tweets. We know the prime minister; he actually says on his Twitter feed now that the tweets are done by PMO staff. But um, Peter McKay has been putting out a series of tweets, um, highly aggressive tweets, since he declared his leadership. And uh, one of them was poking fun at Justin Trudeau for something that he did during the leadership. It was said, while running to be leader of the Liberal Party, Trudeau's campaign expensed $876.95 in yoga sessions and spa bills for Justin Trudeau. Liberals can't be trusted. It does seem a bit small, not the, the amount of money, just... Justin Trudeau was running for the Liberal leadership in 2013. It's now 2020. Well, there was the so other tweet as well, though, about uh, uh, that Peter McKay plays hockey. I think he referred to himself playing hockey while the Prime Minister did yoga, right? Yeah. It, it, again, it's this macho politics stuff that turns a lot of people off. And it looks like it's written by a bunch of frat boys. And um, Peter McKay pretty much said as much in that he was not happy with the staffer tweeting this for him and he was going to stop it and that's probably not a bad idea you you know it's all fair for conservatives to make fun of justin trudeau but to make fun of yoga or to be seen as as diminishing yoga as something feminine it does seem kind of immature all right susan great to have your thoughts on all of this thank you very much for joining us today 
Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Under the authority of an emergency order pursuant to the Federal Quarantine Act, all passengers will remain at CFB Trenton for 14 days after arrival to allow for a full health assessment, follow-up observation by public health officials, and uh, support services as needed depending on their circumstances. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail... André Picard asks if we really need to quarantine Canadians who return from China. Picard writes, Never before have a large number of people been transported to Canada and, under a legal order, placed in quarantine. Medically, it's probably unnecessary. Politically, it's probably essential. Politicians and public health officials have to be seen acting, even if their actions are not especially useful. We can pretty well guarantee that the Canadian evacuees will be fine. We need to get them home. And we should thank them for the quarantine they will endure to assuage our collective fretfulness. At Policy Options, Jennifer Ditchburn asks if aggression is a leadership skill. Ditchburn writes, Peter McKay said he'd rather fight Justin Trudeau at UFC or on the ice. Aaron O'Toole bragged that he speaks like a soldier, not a diplomat. These men are not macho meatheads in person. They're decent, middle-aged dads. Still, they're helping to circulate an outdated message that political leadership is about being good at combat, relishing the opportunity to throw actual or verbal punches at your opponent. In the Calgary Herald, Chris Nelson argues there's only one thing that will bring victory in Alberta's pipeline war. Nelson writes, Jason Kenney's war room is preaching to the converted. While the vast majority of Canadians have no interest in reading yarns extolling Alberta's oil industry, Kenny needs to make it hurt Canadians in their pocketbooks. He has to curtail oil and gas shipments to the rest of the country. It will hurt his province more than anywhere else, but if Alberta intends to succeed, it's the only option guaranteed to get the job done. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Federal Court of Appeal will deliver its ruling today on a crucial case which could potentially halt development of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. CPAC's Martin Stringer explains. Mark, the Federal Court of Appeal will rule this morning on whether the federal government has fulfilled its constitutional obligation to consult with Indigenous peoples before giving the approval to the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Now, this case involves six appeals to the project lodged by First Nations in British Columbia. Now, if all of this sounds familiar, well, in a way, it is. Remember, in 2018, the same Federal Court of Appeal ruled that the Harper government hadn't sufficiently studied the environmental impact of the pipeline, nor had it properly consulted with the affected First Nations. The court ruling, as you remember, put a halt to the multi-billion dollar project. Well, the Trudeau government commissioned new environmental impact studies, which eventually gave the go-ahead to the project. And the government held new consultations with local First Nations and then announced that the project would go ahead. Shovels hit the ground just a few months ago. But six of those communities in B.C. have gone to court, arguing that they weren't sufficiently consulted. Today, we will find out whether the Federal Court of Appeal might once again order a halt to the project or instead rule that Ottawa has fulfilled all of its obligations and that the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion can go ahead. Thanks, Martin. Also coming up today, the Prime Minister will attend the Cabinet meeting, followed by a meeting with Ukrainian filmmaker Oleg Sentsov. This afternoon, the Prime Minister and Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will meet with the leadership of Dairy Farmers of Canada. This evening, the Prime Minister will meet with the Mayor of Edmonton. And Justice Minister David Lametti 
and Minister for Women, Mariam Monsef, will be joined by Rana Ambrose in Ottawa to make an announcement about the Judges Act and Criminal Code. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, February 4th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.